Let's pray. Jesus, you invite the weary and heavy laden to come to you and find rest, and that's why we're here. Our souls are weary and heavy laden. We, we have this coronavirus that won't go away, and an angry, divided culture, and now a storm. You invite us to come and find rest. You invite us to come and to learn from you. That's why we're here. We pray as we open up your word together that, that you would forgive the one who speaks and that you would teach us and give us rest for our souls. Lord, I pray that we would become so full of you through this time that we would want to go and invite others to come and find rest for their souls in you too. We need revival as your church. We at Good News, our nation, will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Holy Spirit, fall fresh on us, revive us, and may you begin a great spiritual awakening in our land, a great turning of people to you because we need you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Have you noticed there's a lot of protesters and you know, the protesters understand something very correctly, very correctly. They understand that our country is broken. They understand that our world is broken. And I believe that's the one thing that everybody in our divided country could agree on now. And that's that our country is broken, couldn't we? We can all agree that our world is broken. I mean, you look around, things are broken, right? I think we could all agree on that, couldn't we? We only disagree on what? On what the problem is and what the solution is. So, so I want you to understand something. Maybe you didn't know that, but this is a church. Did you know that? And I'm a Christian, and I'm a disciple, and, and I'm a pastor, and I believe the Bible is the Word of God. And so we're going to do something today. We're going to open the Bible together, and I'm going to help you develop a Christian worldview. I want to train you to be able to see the world through the eyes of the Bible, through a Christian worldview, so that you might understand what the Bible teaches, what is the root of our problems, and what the solution is, okay? So here's what we're going to be unpacking today. The point of today's message is that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So will you say that with me? that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So let me help you with a Christian worldview. In this point, what does the Bible say is the root of our problems? It's what? Very good, you're, you're right, the, the root of our problem is sin. And in this verse, what does it say is the solution of our problem? The solution is what? And why is it Jesus? Why, because what? He takes away the sin of the world. Okay, so that's where we're going. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Genesis chapter 22. And if you don't, you can follow on the screens. If you're new, this year we've been walking through the book of Genesis together. You say, why? Because Genesis is the first book in the Bible, and it lays the foundation for everything else. The more you understand this book, the more everything else in the story will make sense. So we've been spending several weeks getting to know a character named Abraham, one of the main Old Testament characters, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, and God had promised them a child, and they had waited and waited and waited. And finally, Isaac was born when Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90. They had a child, and I don't think any parents ever loved their child as much as Abraham and Sarah loved their long-awaited child. 
So now we pick up the story. Genesis 22, verse 1. Now it came about after these things. So when did this happen? After these things. Last week when we finished, Sarah weaned Isaac when she was maybe 92 or 93. So it's after he was weaned. And then chapter 23, notice how chapter 23, verse 1, now Sarah lived 127 years. So she lived 37 years after Isaac was born. So sometime after he was weaned and sometime before she died, the story takes place. And I believe it's taking place when in his, Isaac is in his late teens, perhaps 25 or even 30. He's not a little boy, but he's a young man, okay? That's when this story is taking place. Now, after these things, uh, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. Notice it says God tested. It doesn't say he tempted. And I want you to know he tested Abraham, and it wasn't for God's sake. God knew how Abraham would respond. It was for Abraham's benefit that Abraham might see how much his faith had grown since God called him in chapter 12. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Wow, Abraham and Sarah loved Isaac. And, and so God says, take your son. And almost every word he says just digs the knife in a little deeper, doesn't it? Do you hear what he says? Take now your son you waited so long for, your only son, twist, right? Whom you love, Isaac. See the word love? It's interesting. That's the first time the word love occurs in the Bible. Did you know that? And isn't it interesting? The first time love occurs, and the first time words occur is significant in the Bible. The first time love occurs, it's not the love of a husband for his wife. It's not the love of God for us or love for God. The first time love is used is uh, the love of a father for his son. And I'm going to show you that runs throughout the Bible. Did you know that? We come to the New Testament. The first three Gospels are called synoptic Gospels. Sin means the same and optic they look. The first three Gospels give us a similar view of Jesus. So we come to Matthew, and where do you think in Matthew love occurs the first time? It's at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is being baptized. First time love occurs is the father says to his son, this is my beloved son. Isn't it interesting in the New Testament and Matthew, the first time love is mentioned is the love of a father for a son. Okay, then we come to the next gospel account, Mark. Same story, baptism of Jesus. Same time, first time love is used in Mark. You are my beloved son. Mark's gospel, first time love is used, love of a father for the son. Now we're going to look at Luke. What do you think is going to be first, huh? You with me? Same story, the baptism of Jesus in Luke's gospel, and the voice out of heaven, you are my beloved son, and you I'm well pleased. Now I told you, three gospels are synoptic gospels. They all tell the same thing. Now John, John is the love gospel. Where do you suppose the first time love is going to occur in John is? You're, you're there, right? John 3, 16, what, for God so loved the world. The Bible begins 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Son. Luke say, God loves his son. And then we get to John, and, and, and the Bible says, God loves us. So much, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that, that we saw in Genesis and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He took his only begotten son and gave him for you and me that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Oh, listen. The father loves his son, and Isaac loved his son, and, and God said, take your son and, and offer him as a sacrifice in the land of Moriah. In the land of Moriah. Why did he say go to Moriah? Why offer him there? So Abraham, this is so good. The Bible is one story. It's just one story, and the more you see it, you see how it all unfolds. So Abraham lived about 2,000 years B.C., about 2,000 years B.C., and later on Mount Moriah, later on Mount Moriah, the city of Jerusalem would be built on this mountain. And then one day, about 1,000 years after this story, Solomon builds a temple, and where do you think the temple is built? It's on Mount Moriah, right? So 2 Corinthians 3, verse 1, then Solomon began to build a house of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. So the very mountain that Abraham and Isaac are walking up on, a temple would be built, and all those sacrifices in the Old Testament, they would all be in the same place Abraham and Isaac were going. You following me? A thousand years later, right? A thousand years later, guess who comes? Who? Jesus. And one day, Jesus would do, he would walk up what? The same mountain. He would walk up the Mount Moriah to die on the top of that mountain for you and me. Isn't it amazing how the Bible is one story, and the more you understand the story, you see how it's all about Jesus, how it all points to Jesus, and how Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? So listen, God said, take your son and offer him. Verse 3, so Abraham arose, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he split wood and for the burnt offering, and he arose and went to the place of which God had told him. He got up and he obeyed the Lord. One question I had. You think he told Sarah? You think he told Sarah? No, I don't think so. Hey, we're going to take that son we waited for. I'm going to go offer him up. But I want you to see the obedience that we see here. And I really believe the obedience we see here is gospel obedience. It's what happens in the people in people's lives when they get the gospel and you say, what? You see, religious people obey God. They think, if I obey God, maybe he will love me. But Christians obey God because they know God loves them. The Bible says we love because he first loved us. God loved Abraham, and Abraham loved him back. And because he loved him back, when God spoke, he did what God said. Now, I love this. When our kids were little, we told them that obedience, and some of you will remember that, but not many, but we taught our kids that obedience is quickly, quietly, and completely. If it's not quickly, it's not obedience. If you talk back, it's not obedience. If it's partially done, it's not obedience. So what happens here? So Abraham rose early in the morning. That's what? That's what it's quickly, right? He did it right away. He didn't delay. Maybe I'll do it tomorrow. It was quickly, wasn't it? And you know what else it was? Quietly. There's no what? But, but, but. There's no buts, is there? 
His obedience was quickly, it was compliant, quietly, and it was completely, he did everything that, that God had asked him to, right? He saddled the donkey, and he took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Wow. Is that us? When God calls us to obey, is our response one of quickly? Is it? Is it quietly without a bunch of butts? And, 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 and is it completely? On the third day, and if I had all day, I could keep making connections for you, but I'm going to have to pass by some of the connections because I don't want to take too long. But notice that it happened on the third day. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go over there. Obviously, they had some English people in the translating here, right? I mean, I and the lad, and by the word, the, the word lad there means young man. It's not a boy. A young man, I and the lad will go over there. Then notice very carefully what he says, and we will worship and return to you. Notice, he says, Isaac and I are going to worship. We're going to worship, and that's what would happen. But then he says, we will return to you, right? He didn't say, we will worship and I will come back. Uh, let me show you. You see, God had promised Abraham that the Savior would come through Isaac. And so Abraham believed that if God wanted him to kill Isaac, then God would raise him from the dead. And you say, well, Smiley, I don't see that. So let me take you to Hebrews chapter 11. To Hebrews chapter 11. And in verse 17... By faith, when he was tested, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He did what God asked him to. And he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He knew God had promised him. So notice, he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. So if God calls me to kill Isaac, then God will also raise him from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. And that's why Abraham said to the servants, we will worship and we will return to you. Well, listen to the story. Remember, it's all pointing to Jesus. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. So we have the father and the son climbing Mount Moriah. And what is on the back of the son? What's on the back of the son? What? Wood. What is that a picture of? That one day the father and Jesus would be walking up that mountain and Jesus would have on his back, what? The wood of the cross, wouldn't he? Now, I want you to understand Isaac's pretty sharp. He's not a little kid, okay? Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? So they're going up the mountain together, and Isaac's pretty sharp. He sees the wood, he sees the fire, but he says, Like, where's the lamb? Now notice what Abraham said. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. There it is. 
God will provide the lamb. And didn't God do that? Isn't that who Jesus is? What are we learning about today? That Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the son of the world. God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them walked on together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on the altar on top of the wood Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son now remember when I talked about age how old how old is Isaac here how old maybe he's what say it confidently he's what 25 and if he's 25 how old is Abraham he's 125 if they wrestled who would win who would win Isaac would and so in the story, we often talk about what we talk about, Abraham's faith, don't we? And, and he did have faith. But what's Isaac doing? It doesn't say anything about how his dad had to wrestle him and beat him up and tie him down. Isaac trusted his father. And he let his father bind him. Listen, he's 25. He could whip his dad. He's 125. But he let his father tie him up because he trusted his father and what he was about to do. No resistance, no fight. And isn't that a picture of Jesus, isn't it? I mean, when they came to arrest Jesus, did Jesus protest? Did he complain? Did he fight? Did he? No, what did Jesus say? Jesus said what? No one has taken it away from me. Isn't that amazing? It wasn't the soldiers, wasn't the nails that kept him on the cross. It was his love for his father and it was his love for you and me. No one is taken away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my father. And don't we see that with Isaac? He's laying down his life just like Abraham was sacrificing his, his son. No wrestling, a father obeying God and a son trusting his father to do what's best. But the angel of the Lord, now, the angel of the Lord can be an angel, but, but sometimes the angel of the Lord, which means the messenger of the Lord, is really Jesus. And I'm going to show you in just a moment that this is really Jesus speaking to him from heaven. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from from what? From me. And that's why I believe that the angel of the Lord is Jesus because he says, you've not withheld your only son from me. And don't you know for Jesus what a moment this was as he looks at Isaac on the altar, he sees what, that one day that will be what? That will be him, won't it? That he'll be the one who's, who's dying for us, right? This is so good. Listen. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering. Say it with me, what? In the place of his son. One of the great doctrines of, of, of the Bible is the substitutionary atonement, right? That, that Jesus would die in our place to atone for our sins. So what do we see here? That the ram died in the place of Isaac, giving us a picture that what? That one day Jesus would die in our place, right? 
And then once again, what do we hear? Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. So Abraham said, God will provide the lamb. God will provide the lamb. And isn't that Jesus? That Jesus is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, this thing, and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations will be of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And God repeats his covenant promise. The top line, I will bless you. And the bottom line, you'll be a blessing. Matter of fact, one of your descendants will bring salvation to all the nations. And by the way, see the word obey, that's the first time obey is used in the Bible too, of, a, of Abraham obeying God to, and being willing to sacrifice his son. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together in Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. Listen, they went up to worship, and guess what? They came down, right? Just like Abraham had said. And so what have we learned so far? What we've learned so far is that Jesus is the Lamb of God who, who takes away the sin of the world. What have we seen so far? That we saw a father and a son, and the son with wood on his back, walking up the very mountain that Jesus would walk up one day with the cross on his back, right? And what did we hear twice? Twice we heard the gospel preached, right? Verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. God will provide it, my son. And didn't we read that again, hear that again in verse 14? And Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. So, turning a corner, I want to move toward what I'd love for you to do this week, the action step for this week. What I'd like for you to do is to behold the lamb of God. And I love it when the action step comes right out of the Bible, when it comes right out of the Bible. When John the Baptist, John the Baptist was sent to prepare people for Jesus. And when he saw Jesus one day, he just pointed to him. He pointed to him and said, the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He said, there he is. There he is. Remember the sacrifice of Isaac? It pointed to him. He's the Lamb that God's provided. Remember all the Old Testament sacrifices sacrificed in the temple on Mount Moriah? They were all pointing to Jesus. You do know what all those sacrifices were about, don't you? They reminded the people that we've all sinned. They reminded people that the penalty for sin is death. They kept offering them over and over again because the blood of animals can never take away our sin. We needed someone. We needed someone who was sinless to die in our place. We needed Jesus. And now the day has come, and God has provided the Lamb, right? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what I want you to do this week, the first thing that I want you to do is I want you to behold the Lamb of God and to believe in the Lamb of God, to believe in the Lamb of God. Listen. <laughs> This verse, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This verse is the gospel. 
It teaches us the bad news. It teaches us what's wrong with the world. When we look at this, we read about the sin of the world. So the Bible says the reason our world is broken is because of what? Sin. Listen, the reason the world is broken, and let me ask you, as you look around the world, any evidence that it's broken? Any? Is there anything wrong with our world? How about our country? Anything broken? How about us? Isn't it true of us? The Bible says what for? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our world is broken and our country is broken because we're all broken. We've all sinned against God, a just God, and we're in big trouble. But listen, here's the good news. Here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus is the Lamb of God. It's so important for us when we look at the Lamb of God to ask the question, who is Jesus? He's the Lamb of God. He's the one God provided, right? He's fully God and fully man. He's the one that all the sacrifices pointed to. Who is Jesus? He's the Lamb of God. What did he come to do? What did he come to do? What? To take away the sin of the world, right? How did he do that? He, he lived a perfect life and then he went to the cross. And he died as our substitute to atone for our sins, our sins placed on Jesus. He died in our place and, and then he rose, right? And, and then he offers us salvation. He offers us salvation from sin, from the guilt of our sin and the penalty of our sin. He offers us salvation from everlasting punishment. Salvation for what? So that we could do life with Jesus now and we could do life with Jesus forever. And what does God require of us? In, in the book of Acts, one day a jailer asked the Apostle Paul a question. And, and I believe it's the most important question in the Bible. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, it's interesting. I'm a, I'm a pastor, and, and the one question I'm almost never asked is this question. Wouldn't you think that would be the question that people would ask all the time? What do I need to do to be saved? What do I need to do to go to heaven? What do I need to do to live forever? But nobody asked me that question. Isn't it interesting? Sirs... What must I do to be saved? And notice what they said. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Man, I remember the first time I heard that, I said, it, it, just, it can't be that simple. Well, well, it is. What did they say? They just said, well, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Well, well what does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, it really is as, as simple as ABC where we admit and then believe and commit. It starts when we admit we're sinners. Man, have you ever done that? If you haven't, won't you? Listen, it's not just the world that's broken. Jesus, I admit to you that I'm broken too. It's not just our country that's broken. I'm broken too. Won't you admit that? And then the next step is to believe. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and those. Won't you? And then we commit to Jesus as Savior. And Lord Jesus, I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. Won't you? I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you haven't, won't you? And if you have, I want you to know you are saved. You are saved. So this week, I want you to behold the Lamb of God. And because you believe in God, I want you to rejoice that you're saved, right? 
Now, the next thing I want you to do this week is I want you to behold the Lamb of God and follow him and follow him. When we come to faith in Christ, Jesus says, now you believe in me, follow me. You've made me Lord of my life, follow me. And so I want to help you follow Jesus, okay? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So what does Jesus want to do in our lives? He wants to what? Take us, what? Out of our sins. But have you ever thought about what that means? Now, I'm going to give you some theology, but you're smarter than the average congregation, so you can handle it. So hang with me. It's a little theological, okay? When we talk about Jesus taking away the sin of the world, there's the guilt of our sin. We're talking about that. And then there's the power of sin. And then there's the presence of sin. There is the guilt and the power and the presence. So we start, when we say Jesus takes away the sin of the world, we're saying he takes away our guilt. The Bible teaches we have all sinned against God and we are guilty. So Jesus came, died on the cross for our sins, rose, and when we believe in him, we're forgiven of all of our sins. That's the great doctrine of justification by faith. Justification deals with the guilt of our sin. So we read like in Romans 5.1, therefore having been, what? See, there it is, justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the moment we put our faith in Jesus, all of our sins are imputed to Christ and we're forgiven of all of our sins, past, present, and future. The guilt of our sins is gone and we're given the righteousness of Christ and we are at peace with God. Come on, smile. Right? Isn't that great? Isn't it amazing? God's not mad at you. He's taken away the sin of the world. You're at peace with God. How about Romans 8.1? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much? Come on, smile, right? Isn't that great? You see, Jesus has dealt with the guilt of our sin. That's justification. Listen, we're forgiven. The guilt is gone. But <clears throat> sin is not just guilt. It's a power. We were sinners, right? Listen, we were sinners, so when Jesus came to take away the sin of the world, he came to break the power of sin in our lives to set us free so we could live new lives. The moment we put our faith in Christ, Jesus frees us from the power of sin. He breaks the power of sin. Let me show you. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Now, here's what he's saying. The day I met Jesus, the old smiley, who was held captive by sin, who was powerless against sin because he was held captive by sin, that person died. He died with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, the old smiley. It's no longer that old person who lives, but Christ lives in me. There's a new smiley in whom Christ lives, who's pulling me out of my sins, who's broken the powers, and Christ lives in me. That's why we can change. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Listen, we're not what we once were. When it says Jesus takes away the sin of the world, it means he not only deals with the guilt of our sin, but sanctification deals with the power of sin. He's broken the power of sin so we can walk in newness of life. And that's why he says, follow me, right? Follow me. 
So there's the guilt of our sin, then there's the power of sin. That's what sanctification deals with. And, and then there's the presence of sin, the presence of sin. And that's what the biblical doctrine of glorification is about. Glorification is about. I mean, you ever just say, I wish, I wish I just could sin no more. One day it will be true. <laughs> you see, Jesus has taken care of the guilt of our sin. He's broken the power of sin. He's leading us out of our sins. And one day, sin will be removed from us altogether. Oh, this is so, so good. 1 John 3, 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. Come on, I told you we had good news, right? Listen, you're not just forgiven. You're not just free. You're adopted. You're a child of God now. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. We shouldn't be surprised when the world doesn't like us. It didn't like Jesus either. Beloved, now we're children of God. It's already true. We've already been adopted. Now we're children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him. See, Jesus is without sin. One day we will be too, right? Because we will be like him. Because we will see him just as he is. One day soon, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, listen, we will be made like him. Sin will be removed and we will be able to sin no more. And not only that, but sin will be removed from the whole earth. And that earth we long to be a part of where everyone gets along and loves each other one day will be true. So, when we behold the Lamb of God and follow him, we understand that, that Jesus forgives the guilt of our sin. He sets us free. He breaks the power of sin so we can live new life. One day, one day, he will, uh, he will remove sin from us. So what do we do while we're here waiting for that day? What do we do? Notice what he says. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him, everyone whose hope is one day will be without sin and be with Jesus, everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So we purify ourselves now. So when we wake up each day this week and we behold the Lamb of God and he says, follow me, what do we do? What do we do? And how do we do it? We do it what? Quickly, quietly, completely. Can you imagine what would happen in our lives this week if we got up and beheld the Lamb of God and when he called us, we obeyed quickly and quietly and completely? Okay, so behold the Lamb of God this week and believe in him. Behold the Lamb of God this week and follow him. And behold the Lamb of God this week and fish for men and fish for men. Didn't Jesus say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? How can we behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and look at our broken world and not want to go and bring our friends to the Lamb of God? Oh, and some of us think, well, I can't. It's so much simpler than you think. Let me show you what John did. You see, John, a few verses later from verse 29, Listen, this is John the Baptist. Again, the next day, John was standing with the two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus. So first, John looked at Jesus. So this week, let's look at Jesus, okay? Let's behold him. He looked at Jesus as he walked, and then he said, Behold the Lamb of God. So all he did was what? He saw Jesus, and then he told other people what? Look at the Lamb of God. And what happened? What happened? <laughs> 
the two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. Do you know how many people walked by me in high school and thought he'd never come to faith in Christ? And then someone said to me, Behold the Lamb of God. And you know what? I left everything to follow him. How many people are there out there now? They just need someone to point them to Jesus and say he's the Lamb of God. And don't we live in the best time ever for that, don't we? I mean, we live in a death-denying culture. Did you know that? We do. We live in a culture where people think they're not going to die. That's why people are so upset about this virus, because we're going to die. And we live in a death-denying culture. And then what has our culture done? The culture and the media and our civil government has scared people to death and then closed churches. The only place that offers people hope for now and forever. Listen, we're Christians. We need to learn to open the Bible. And Jesus speaks very differently than our culture. Listen to what Jesus says at a time like this. In Luke chapter 12, verse 5, he says, But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. As you talk to people during the coronavirus, do you know anybody who's afraid of, who fears God, do you? Has anybody asked you, hey, you know, how, how does someone prepare to, to live forever? Nobody asked that, right? They need us to share with them. What we should fear is not dying of the coronavirus. What we should fear is dying unprepared. Why? Because if people die unprepared, they're going to hell. If we don't share that with people, how will they know? Well, Smiley, you're just trying to scare the hell out of us. I am. I am. Something needs to happen to us that we would go out to people and share with them about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this week... One of the best habits we can do is just learn to share what we've heard on Sunday. This week, when you're with people and they're talking about how many people are dying, just ask them the question, I wonder how many of them were prepared to die? Just ask them the question. I wonder how many of them were prepared to die? And, and some people, they won't jump at that, and that's okay. But other people will respond. Well, well what do you mean? And how could a person be prepared to die? And then all you got to do is what John did, right? You got your Bible with you, you just open it up. Open it up to John 1 29 and say, hey, would you read this verse? Just read this verse. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, our problem is sin, and Jesus took care of that so that people who live in Him, who believe in Him, would live forever. You can do it. Listen, we have the cure for death. We have the vaccine for hell. We do. How do we keep it to ourselves? And listen, Jesus isn't just the cure for death. He's the cure for all the problems in our society, all the racial issues. This week, when you get in a conversation about race, just ask someone, what do you think is the root of racism? What do you think the root? What do you think is the solution? And if they ask you back, 
I mean, if they don't, that's okay. But if they ask you back, what do you think? Just open up your Bible. You can do it. Just open it up to John 1, 29. Have them read the verse. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What does the Bible say is the root of our problems? It's our sin. What does the Bible say is the solution to our problems? It's the Lamb of God. Why? Because he takes away the sin of the world. And if they say, well, what does that mean? Oh, it's so good. It means when you believe you're forgiven of your sins. It means Christ moves in and changes you so you can love people that you never could have loved before. And it means one day, that place we dream of, where all the races will get along and people will love each other forever, one day it will be true. And you can be there, you know. You really, really can. Oh, dear people, let's join John the Baptist this week, okay? Let's invite other people to come and see Jesus, won't we? He's the cure for death. He's the cure for our problems. And all we're called to do is just to invite people to come and see him. Behold, behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we're such a mess. And we're so glad you came to take away our sin and the sin of the world. Thank you for living and dying and rising for us. Thank you. Listen, if, as we are beholding the Lamb today, you've never believed in him. Won't, won't you believe in him? Won't you, won't you just tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and, and, and I'm sorry. And won't you believe, I, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And won't you commit to him? Jesus, I want you to be my savior and forgive me and, and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Well, if you've done that for the first time, won't, won't, won't you mark that on your card and let us know? Lord, I pray for those of us who believe in you that this week, this week we would behold you and when you say follow me, we would say yes, Lord, yes, Lord, and we would follow you quickly and quietly and completely. And Lord, I pray this week as we behold you and we go out in a culture where people are scared to death that we would invite them to come and see the Lamb of God that as we go out in a deeply divided culture, that we would invite others to come and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.